today. It's a great day today. Say amen. You know, uh, this week was my birthday, and uh, no, no, you say that till you're like 20, and then you stop saying, what, was that you, Tucker? Yeah. I can't, you know, I love Tucker, and I can't stand Tucker, <laughs> because Tucker is like 10 or 11 years older than me, but he is in such good shape from riding that bicycle, I think he looks younger than me, so like, uh, <laughs> But then I hang out with William, I feel a lot better, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, I'm glad. William hasn't seen me yet, so he hasn't been able to dog me about Florida losing last night. I know they lost. I don't need any of you to talk to me, okay? Uh, listen, turned 39 this week, and, uh, and uh, yeah, first time. And so... My wife asked me what I wanted, and I was like, well, I really, the truth of the matter is I really don't need anything. I mean, I have a, a beautiful home and, you know, transportation to get from place to place. I have two wonderful boys that I love spending time with and uh, a wonderful wife. And I was like, I really, you know, plenty of clothes, really more clothes than I need. And, and I was like, I just, there's nothing that I really need in life. And uh, I told her, though, I... I usually um, go and watch some of the high school uh, state championship for boys basketball. And uh, they start with eight teams in each classification and then go down over the week to the championship. And I told her, I said, I'd really like for you and the boys to just go with me uh, on Wednesday, my birthday, to the first round of that. And let's just go and, and watch basketball together and uh, do that. And I went a little more this year, uh, actually quite a bit more than I've ever done before. Uh, Monterey was in it, and Tucker plays for them, and Livingston Academy from down the road was there, and know, know some of those people, and are friends with them. So I, I went to a little more games than I normally do, saw a lot of, lot of basketball this week. And you know, the truth of the matter is, basketball, outside of my family and my faith, is probably, watching a basketball game, probably brings me more joy outside of my family and my faith than anything else. And so to go and watch that, uh, I, just really, I just really enjoy it. I love everything about it. But can I tell you something today? The joy of basketball and watching the best basketball in our state is not even the drop in the bucket in seeing your children give their life to Jesus. There's no comparison. Uh, I, some people went with me. Brother Mark and I went one day. My family went one day, and then Trey, Trey here went with me one day. And uh, Trey started coming to our church. You guys need to meet Trey. He's a freshman at Tech, and he played basketball at Cookville, and he's... Uh, thinking about being a pastoring as pastor as well one day and praying through that. And Brother Randall Phillips and I got Trey together, and so I'm excited for Trey and uh, what God's doing in his life. And so Trey went with me one day, and Trey can tell you, I didn't cry any at the basketball game, did I? There was no crying. But if you don't know the tears of joy, of knowing that that wasn't just a song we sang about some thing out there, that the fact of the matter is our righteousness rests in nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing. And knowing the authority of His name 
and of his death and his life, that it has the power over sin, my friend, if you do not know that, if you have not confessed the name of Jesus, if you have not given your life to him, if you don't know what it's like in your darkest moments to be able to cry out to him and know that Jesus is your brother, that the Son of God, that God himself is your brother because he has chosen to adopt you into his Father's family, if you do not know that, then there is nothing more important today than for you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he calls you home. Home. Ernest Hemingway. You guys know Ernest Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway was one of the great novelists of the last century. As a young man, uh, he hitchhiked across a large portion of America from his home in rural Michigan, uh, hitchhiked across America and wrote stories about those hitchhiking adventures. He served in World War I as an ambulance driver for the Italian Army before America ever got into World War I. Uh, and remember, in World War I, the Italians were our allies. In World War II, they were our enemy. But in World War I, he went as an ambulance driver. Uh, he did not really uh, believe in killing your fellow man. But like many people who have that belief, he felt like, I do need to serve in some way. And he really put himself in harm's way as an ambulance driver. got injured uh, helping the Italians as they were withstanding uh, uh, the German army and just uh, the things that they did. He, he, he was injured there. He wrote about that, wrote about the experience of World War I and seeing all those young men lose their life and that great loss of life that occurred in Europe and then in America with a, a generation. Uh, they called them the lost generation, and he wrote about that. And uh, then he went on in Spain. There was a great civil war in Spain, and he was a newspaper reporter, and he wrote a lot about that. And uh, he was just wrote some really good novels for Whom the Bell Tolls, a very fa famous movie with Gary Cooper. Ernest Hemingway made this statement. A statement that I do not believe, but it's a statement that sums up what a lot of people believe. Ernest Hemingway, looking back at all he had seen, uh, said, All thinking men are atheists. All thinking men are atheists. So said Ernest Hemingway, the great novelist of the 20th century. And a lot of people in the 19th and 20th century agreed with that claim that faith and belief in God, especially the God of the Bible, would quickly become a thing of the past. In fact, if you read the literature of many of the intellectuals of the 19th and 20th century, if you read what they had written, uh, we should not be here today. Faith in God and faith in Jesus should have disappeared. In fact, the 19th and 20th century, much like our own, uh, was a century filled with assaults on belief in God, particularly on assaults on those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, in fact, of those like Hemingway, who did not believe that thinking men and women uh, could be anything other than atheists and believed that the church would soon disappear from the earth, we have entered the new century, and we are still here. Amen? We are still here church of Jesus continues and today one among our numbers publicly made a confession of faith through, uh, through his baptism he has before witnesses shown that he has died to sin and risen to faith in Jesus why why were the intellectuals of the last century and the century before many of them why were they so wrong why has Jesus why does Jesus why will Jesus continue 
to be the focal point of the lives of so many people? There are a number of ways you could answer that. But I would simply say today, in accordance with the Word of God, the reason that there will continue to be followers of Jesus is because God, because the Creator God continues to show His love and mercy by calling sinners to salvation. And as long as God's Spirit moves in this earth, calling sinners to salvation, there will always be a people that are following Jesus. It doesn't matter what Ernest Hemingway says. It doesn't matter what other men and women have said. It doesn't even matter what you say. As long as the Spirit of God moves, calling men and women until it all comes to a climax, there will be a church, there will be a bride, there will be a people of God. You know, it's very special to me that we're preaching through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is all about how God has called a people. And we see in the Gospels how Jesus comes and starts a new covenant, a new relationship. As he fulfills the law, he starts a new thing and he raises up 12 disciples, which clearly is connected to the 12 tribes of Israel uh, that came up out of Egypt, that came from Abraham's line. And he calls 12 disciples to start this new covenant. And this new covenant we are finding out in the book of Acts will not just be Jews, but will also be Gentiles. And so it's very special to me today to be preaching through Acts, this great book that tells us how Gentiles like you and I can be converted. And today we have a baptism. We have one that shows us that this very thing that God started in the book of Acts, it continues today some 2,000 years later. God is calling a people. Now in the Bible, this people is called a church. And the church is described in the Bible as a beautiful bride. The people of God are a church. And the Bible describes the church as a bride. And Jesus is the bridegroom. And the Bible teaches us that our Christian walk that Owen has just started, that this Christian walk uh, is about believers. God is preparing us. We are the bride of Christ, and he is preparing us for that great day when the church and Jesus shall be one. We are a beautiful bride. The Creator God is preparing for his Son, a bride wondrous beyond imagining. Now, I thought about this week, putting a PowerPoint slide up at this moment of my wife on our wedding day. I mean, just beautiful. But I knew that if I did that, I might have made it to 39, but I would not make it to 40. All right? But we are a bride, a wondrous, beautiful bride. In fact, what the book of Acts shows us and what we're going to see today is the bride The people of God that God is preparing for His Son is so wondrous and so beautiful, it even far surpasses what the original 12 disciples ever imagined. It's more than they could have ever dreamed, and it's more than you and I could possibly dream up. The bride that God's got to get ready for His Son, it's got to be a, a work of God that only He can do and make to make it worthy of His Son, Jesus. So this morning, we're going to see, boy, this is good, we're going to see how is it that God who calls sinners, how is it that he prepares this bride? Now, let's just be honest, and we're at different places here, but if sometimes your life 
whether of your making or somebody else's, if your life sometimes is just one big mess, say amen. It is. So how does God take people like me and you, whose lives sometimes are just such a big mess, how does he take us and make us into this beautiful bride that he's preparing for his son Jesus. Well, turn to Acts chapter 10. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 10, and we're going to see today a big step in how God is preparing this beautiful, wondrous bride that is beyond the imagining of those original 12 disciples. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion. So this is one of Rome who has authority and power. The same Romans that put Jesus on that cross and killed him. The same Romans who in Pilate had the authority and the power to let Jesus go. This same one uh, is one of, one of these, one of these that killed our Lord. One of authority and one of power. This one, Cornelius, was a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. He was a devout man. One that feared God with all his house which gave much alms, gave a lot of money to the people, and he prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God, a messenger of God coming to him. What did the messenger say? Boy, if a messenger comes from God, it's important to know what he says. What did he say? He said unto him, Cornelius. Boy, we've seen this already. If you're glad that God knows your name, say amen. Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid. And he said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. God says, I have seen what your works have been, and I have heard your prayers, and they have come before me. And he says to him, Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So Joppa. I believe is some about 40 miles away. So in the ancient world, you know, that's a pretty good, pretty good distance, right? Well, he, he sends him. Now send men to Joppa, verse 5, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell you what you ought to do. And when the angel which spoke unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually and when he had declared all these things unto them he sent them to Joppa and on the morrow as they went or the next day as they went on their journey they drew nigh into the house of uh, the uh, house nigh into the city so they're, they're they've gotten close and what happens right before they get they're getting there close what happens well Peter went up the household top the house top to pray about the sixth hour and he became very hungry. And he would have eaten, but while he made ready, he fell into a trance. So he falls into a vision from God as well. And he saw heaven open. So the heavens open up. And a certain vessel descending unto him. And it looked like, he says, it's, it, it, it's as, as if it had been a great sheet knit four corners. So a great, a great look up at the roof, look at the roof. A great sheet. Imagine even bigger than this, than this space right here. A great sheet coming down from heaven, all right? So this great sheet is coming down the four corners and let down to the earth. Now, wherein 
were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him. What did the voice say? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again the second time, What God has cleansed, thou shalt not call common. Do not call unclean what God has cleansed. And this was done three times. And the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Now can you imagine this? The timing's got to be just right. God's got to do the impossible. He's got to bring these people together at just the right time. If you're glad that God's time is the right time, say amen. Just the right time. So Peter's wondering, what what is this about? Three times. God has brought this food down. He's supposed to eat this food. He knows it's unclean food. What in the world does this mean? Verse 17. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek you. Arise, therefore, and get you down, get off that housetop, and go with them. Doubt nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you have come? You are come. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that fears God, of a good report among all the nation of the Jews. And by the way, that's no small feat. That's no small feat for to be be part of the occupying army there that is controlling the Jewish nation for them to say, well, that is a good Gentile. That is a good one. That's no small feat. And so they, they come to him, and they say, verse 22, It's Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one that fears God, a good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel, a holy messenger came, to send for you, into, to bring him to his house, into his house, and to hear words of you, of thee. And so then called he them in. He said, well, come on in. And he lodged them. And then on the morrow they got up, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So they, they take off. And on the morrow, after they had entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called them together for his kinsmen and near friends, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. So there's a bunch. Remember, we've already read that he he has led his house in in, in being faithful and just. And he's been a good, wise man. And he's brought others in to the fact that they need to fear God and love God. So apparently there's a group of them that are there together. So, So they go in, right? Verse 28, what's Peter say? He said to them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing. For a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsay. I didn't wait. I just went. As soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore what intent you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, and imagine worlds are colliding here. Worlds are exploding in this very moment. Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting unto this hour. At the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He has lodged the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, and when he comes shall speak unto you. Immediately therefore I sent to you, and you have well done that you are come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded you of God. And listen to what Peter tells us. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. This is the most frightening news and the best news all at the same time. If God is no respecter of persons... This means that in my sin, whether I am a Jew of the Gentiles, whether I have had the law or not had the law, if God is no respecter of persons, God created us all, that means we're all guilty in our sin. Which is a frightening thing. To know that we are guilty in sin. To know that we will die. That we will stand before this God and we will face the punishment we deserve. Now, eternal separation from God, damnation, hell, that we will deserve this because of our sin and because God is no respecter of persons. This is a frightening thing, but my friends, this is also a great thing. Because if we all stand guilty before God as sinners, if he is no respecter of persons, if we all stand guilty, then he will not withhold salvation from any, whether it is a six-year-old boy that trusts in him, or whether it is a 99-year-old Jew that has had the law and the Torah and everything else, it doesn't matter whether where you fall on the spectrum, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether you're a boy, whether you're a girl, whether you've lived a good life like this centurion, or whether you've, you've lived a wicked life like some of the other characters of the Bible, whether you are like Saul, who was, who was out killing Christians and doing the exact opposite of what God wanted, if God is no respecter of person, sins and the great news is all people can be saved and that means you and you and you and you and you and you salvation has come to all Peter says I perceive that God is no so he couldn't perceive earlier he was doubting he didn't know what the vision was he did not understand but God in his timing has revealed Peter opened his mouth to truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that fears him and worketh, works righteousness is accepted with him. The word with God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. It's come through Israel that he is the Lord of all. The word I say you know which was published throughout all Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism which John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed 
of the devil, for God is with him. And we are witnesses of all things which were done both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. But him God has raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people. Not everybody saw this. But unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he has commanded us. He has demanded of us to preach unto the people to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spoke these words. Catch this. This is awesome. Can you imagine this? While Peter yet spoke these words. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. Now I told you when we started this sermon series in Acts. That we're going to see the Holy Spirit arrives in a number of different ways throughout this book. Well now the Holy Spirit uh, is falling upon them. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak. They started speaking in tongues and they could understand one another and they magnified God he says they, they're speaking in tongues and the Jews cannot believe this they're speaking and what are they all doing they're all praising God from all the nations that were represented there and I don't know if it was just Italians or not like we don't know what kind of servants did he have did he have servants from other nations as well we don't know but we know at least this there are two groups that have been posed to each other and now they are proclaiming in tongues proclaiming the name of God and they are magnifying God if it is a beautiful thing to magnify and praise God say amen oh and the Jews are astonished they cannot believe this and so I love verse 47 they ask the right question you see See, Owen, after his brother's baptism, he started asking the right questions. And some of you here today, you're not saved. And you don't have the Holy Ghost power. And you're walking under your own strength and your own ability. But you've asked the right question. And you're here today because you've been asking the question, there's got to be more to life than this. Well, they now have the Holy Spirit. And God is showing, I will accept these in if they believe what Peter just said, which apparently they did, which was that Jesus was the Messiah and that he uh, was the one that had the power of remission of sins. After he says that, apparently they believe this because they all start praising God together and they ask the right question in verse 47. Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Can we call these Gentiles unclean? With when their very unclean mouths, as we would have called it, they have now praised God and God has sent His Holy Spirit as a seal that He accepts their worship and He accepts their praise. If God has allowed them to experience His Spirit and His power, who are we? Is there anyone among us that should deny that they too should make public profession of faith to be baptized as a sign that God has changed them, redeemed them, that it, there is remission of sin? Is there any here that should do this? Verse 48. And he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry. Stay with them. Teach them. Instruct them. Show them more. Tell them more of those stories about Jesus. Certain days. 
this is an amazing passage this morning. What an incredible paradigm altering thing that God is doing here today by bringing Cornelius and Peter together. How does God do this? How does he make both Cornelius and Peter part of his son's glorious bride that he is preparing for him? How does he do this? Four steps. We'll go quick, all right? We'll go quick, but I want you to pay close attention. Four four steps that God uses that we see from this passage. How does God make a beautiful bride out of the mess of our lives? We see four things today. Number one, God makes humanity's lostness clear. How do we get out of the mess we're in? And become part of the bride of Christ. How does God do this amazing divine work? The first thing he does is he shows us that we indeed are lost. That our lives indeed are a mess. Now Cornelius is a man of power. He is a man of prestige. He works for the mightiest empire in the world. He has power, prestige and wealth. And I'm going to tell you a fact. Most people who have power prestige and wealth are not good men they're not most people that have power wealth and prestige people trust them I'm telling you over and over again and if you live long enough it doesn't shock you anymore the way people abuse their power and they abuse their trust and they use their wealth to do very very wicked things do you know why Do you know why in the United States of America, and you can have different opinions on how the Sabbath should be observed. You can have different opinions, that's fine. But let me tell you something. When Sabbath laws used to be the law of the land, that meant every family knew that on Sunday, dad would be home. On Sunday, mom would be home. That at least one day out of the week, The man that was trying to put more money in his pocket couldn't take mom and dad away and the family could be together for at least one day out of the week. And in fact, many people that have never given their heart to Jesus for a long time recognize that is a good thing that there's at least one day out of the week in this country that most things, unless it's needed, shut down so families can be together. Can I tell you something? And people that are older can testify to this. Older folks, listen to me. Those of you that are 60 and above, if we have lost something by families not being able to be together at least one day of the week, would you say amen? Why? Because men are wicked. Because men have to make more money. Because the store down the road is making more money. The corporation down the road is making more money. These people are making more money. So yeah, it would be better for society. And if you step back, we know it. We know it would be better If one day people could be together, but we cannot, and by the way, you don't have to believe, you you can believe whatever you want about the Sabbath, but that's something you could, everybody should be able to agree on. That's better. But why? Why? Because of greed. Because people need another dollar. And then that creates a cycle. And I do understand this, by the way. I understand we live in a world where that's the cycle. And we don't get to determine everything. We don't all own Chick-fil-A's or own business, and I get that. But it's greed of wealthy men and wealthy women who have decided that they need more, 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 more. You see, humanity is a mess, and many times those who have the power, the prestige, and the wealth, many times they use it in ways that just create more wickedness. So Cornelius, though, he's not like that. Cornelius is a good man. 
Cornelius is a just man. Cornelius is a righteous man. But my friends, if Cornelius is lost, if this good, righteous, alms-giving, just, God-fearing man who has never confessed Jesus as Lord, if he is lost, so is every other good man and woman in this world that does not know Jesus. Amen, church? How does God make a beautiful bride? First, he has to show us even the most wonderful among us, like Cornelius, are lost in sin. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So how does a beautiful bride for Jesus come out of the mess that is humanity? Well, we see today that in step one, God helps us to see that we're lost. God makes clear humanity's lostness. This is why in your sharing the gospel, whether you're going to be a preacher like Tanner, a Connor, a Trey, Oh, listen, you better make clear when you preach and proclaim that people are lost. But it's not just for preachers when we share with our friends and our families. Listen, we must be honest with people. Don't, don't, don't soft-pedal sin. You're not doing anybody any favors. Preparing the bride, we see that God makes clear our lostness. But then he does a second thing. He doesn't just point out the lostness of people. God makes clear they're lost, and then he does a second thing that we must do. And by the way, if you're not willing to do number two, don't do number one. A lot of people, unfortunately, in the church, I won't say a lot, some people in the church sometimes, they, they got no problem letting people know they're lost. Whether it's talking to people, whether it's online, stuff they type, they got no problem letting people know they're lost. But God doesn't just let us know we're lost. God does a second thing. If you won't do number two, please don't do number one. Because people who do the first thing but don't do number two, I'm going to be honest, they make it hard for us that are trying to do number two. He makes it clear they're lost, but the second thing God does is God seeks out the lost. He doesn't just tell you you're lost and going to hell. He tells you that and seeks you out so that you can be saved from the condition that you're in. Look at verses th uh, 3 through 8, all right? Look at what he does. Look at how, look at how this breaks down. Cornelius saw in a vision about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming to him. So God comes to this lost man that is lost. He comes to him in a vision, right? So, 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 so he does this. Well, what else, does, what else does he do, right? Well, the second thing that he does, look at this. Look at verse 10. What happens to Peter? He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. God moves in two ways. To seek out this lost man. You know, if we got justice, God would allow us to pay the full price for our sin. If all we got from God was justice, then there would be no seeking to save you, only condemnation. And yet God sends a messenger to Cornelius, and he sends a vision to Peter, and he sends it three times. God is persistent. He is persistent in seeking out this one that is lost. If you are glad that God is persistent in showing his love to you as well, say amen. Three times. And he sends an angel to Cornelius. He's seeking them out. Now, we need to be persistent in life. My boys, boy, they were persistent yesterday morning. You see, on Friday, I guess Friday when, or Thursday, whichever day Paul, Tim, and Mimi got in from Kentucky, uh, they said, we're going to go to Rouse and get some donuts. And Laura said, no, you're not. Mama put her foot down. Mama said, no, you're not. 
because there's way too much junk food here. We got all these pies. We got all these cakes. We got all this stuff. You are not going to Rouse and going to be eating Rouse for breakfast. Now, how many of you think that grandparents listen to the children? Silent. Thank you. You're a wise group. So, uh, Owen and Ethan and Paul, Timmy, Paul Tim and Mimi, they, they were persistent. And they hatched a plan. And the plan was Saturday, when mom's asleep, we'll get up real early in the morning. And we will put our clothes on. And we will sneak out of the house. And we will get the donuts. And we will sneak them back in the house. And we'll take them back to our room. And Pa, Tim, and Mimi will get the milk and the glasses. And we will feast on our, on our donuts in defiance of mom. There's a love greater than parents. It's the love of a grandparent. So you know what happened Saturday? I was sitting in the recliner early in the morning. One of them stuck their head in the living room, darted back out. I heard them run down the hall to Paul, Tim, and Mimi. Next thing I knew, they were all dressed. They crept out of the house while Laura was still back there. Now, Laura got up while they were gone. She got her coffee. She was sitting on the couch. And uh, boys came back in. They went back to the room. Laura said, where, where you been? What have you been doing? Oh, Luke Caldwell, we've been, they lied. We've been outside playing. You know, grandparents letting them lie like this. Horrible, horrible. We've been out here playing. We've been out here doing all this stuff. You know, they crept back in the room. You could hear them back there in the room, giggling, laughing, all this stuff. They were persistent. They wanted those Ralph's donuts. And they were going to get those Ralph's donuts. Now, Laura, was, she, was, she knew what was going on, so it was one of those things. But, they, but the boys didn't know that. I mean, they were just persistent. We're going to get those donuts. And, boy, when Laura finally walked back to the room, y'all should have seen Owen. He just cackled and laughed. Got you, Mama, got you. Persistent. Can I tell you that I love this story because in the Bible, and many of you grew up in church, you know this. If you did not, this is a great teaching moment. Did you know in the Bible that when something happens three times, that means it's really important to God? Over and over again, three times. If, if something happens three times in the Bible, it means this is important. This is close to the heart of God. It's something he wants you to know. And he doesn't just one time come to Peter. He comes three times to let Peter know this is really, really, really important. It's really, really important that you know that I have come to seek out the lost. And I don't want you to ever call any sinner, no, how, no matter how deep in sin they are, no matter how far they are from me, no matter how disobedient they've been to the word of God, don't ever say they're beyond my reach because they're not. And today I look around this room and there's some sad parents and some sad grandparents and there's some sad children, younger people because you have parents, relatives, friends that are very wicked and they're very evil and they're very far from God. And I want to tell you today, God has sent you to seek them out with the good news of salvation. So how does, he, how does God make this bride? How does God take this mess of this humanity and he makes a bride out of them? Listen, what God does is he makes clear humanity's lostness. And then he seeks out those very lost people. And he is persistent and he does not give up. And he sends a messenger and then he sends a vision three times. Now it's true, Cornelius was seeking something. 
He knew there was something that he needed, and he knew there was a God that somehow was connected to all of this. Cornelius was trying to live a righteous life, but a righteous life is not good enough. Look with me at Titus 3, 4 through 7, at what the Word of God says. When the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness. The works of righteousness in Cornelius is not enough. No, which we have done. No, that's not how we experience the kindness and love of God. But according to His mercy, He saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration. He cleanses us. Go on, Brother Rick, the next one. And renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we've got a wicked spirit. We've got an evil spirit. We're bound to the spirit of sin and the spirit of this age. But He gives us His Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And then I'm just moving on to that verse. He says, having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are washed and we are renewed because God is seeking. He sees it. He's found you right where you are. He has found you and He has given you this offer of salvation. So my friends, we are dirty and we are unclean. And the best of our righteousness is filthy, but God has saved us. And now the effects of that dirt and that grime, He's in the process of sanctifying us to grow in grace as He prepares us to be a bride. So He makes His bride by making clear humanity's lostness, by seeking out the lost. And then thirdly, He creates His beautiful bride by stretching us. He's got he's to sanctify us. We've got to grow in sanctification, right? Justification, I'm right with God. Sanctification, I'm growing. I'm growing, I'm maturing, I'm bearing fruit that doesn't look like this world anymore, but I'm bearing fruit that looks like the very Spirit of God that is within me. Now, God did some big-time stretching of Peter. And if you're following Jesus, believe me, and not just one time, all throughout your life, God's going to do some big-time stretching of you. (laughs) Peter receives this vision from God. The Lord shows him a big sheet. God has big plans for his bride. God has big plans for us. My friends, God has big plans for you. God's plan, no doubt, was shocking to Peter. And it was scary for Peter. That's why he's doubting himself. He's doubting what in the world could this be because this is stretching me in big ways. Peter follows the Old Testament laws about eating found in Leviticus. But Christ has completed the law. He has finished the law. He's completed it. And he's ushered in this new covenant. Salvation isn't just for the Jews. The bride of Christ will be much more wondrous and much more glorious and much bigger than Peter imagined. It will include people from every tongue and every tribe. Now, do you understand this? A really, really, really dedicated Jew, listen to this. A dedicated Jew in Peter's day would have no contact with any Gentile, period. There were Jews that lived that way. They would have no contact with any Gentile, period. But if you were really, 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 really serious as a Jew, you would try to find ways. And by the way, if you study about the the Essene groups and, and some of the groups that went off into the desert, this is what they were trying to do. If you were really, really, really serious, not only would you never have any contact with a Gentile, but you would never have any contact with any Jew who was not faithfully following the law. You could help it. Oh, not even any Jews would you be around if they didn't follow the law of God under no circumstances. Under no circumstances 
Would a serious, dedicated Jew at that degree be the guest of a Gentile ever? And yet, and yet God wants Peter to be stretched and to grow, to go to Cornelius. Why? So the church of Jesus may become the glorious bride from all nations that God is foreordained and that God desires for His Son. Church, God has to stretch us as well. Sometimes there are those that we find very hard in our lives to share the love of Jesus with. Sometimes there are those that we find very hard to love, that we find very hard to invest in. And yet when Peter in verse 15 protests that he does not eat unclean food, God tells him, do not, do not call what I have called clean, unclean. God is stretching him. There is no person that you are not to go and preach the gospel to. So how does God do this glorious thing? How does he make this glorious bride for his son, Jesus? How does he prepare this bride by making humanity's lostness clear? And if you do not know Jesus, you are lost today. But he seeks you out and he stretches the people around you. And he calls you and I to show love, the love of Jesus to all people. And he does all this, number four. The fourth way he makes his bride is he does all of this by operating on perfect time. God's timing is perfect for preparing his bride for his church. Now, this is a miracle in itself that God allows and uses our choices and our decisions, and yet he uses that in his own time, in his own way, to accomplish the things that he has foreordained. God does this on perfect time. Look at verse 17 again. Look at, look at what it said there. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, that very moment while he's doubting, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius, they're already making inquiry for Simon's house, and standing stood before the gate. Forty-mile walk from Caesarea Philippi to Joppa. And yet the centurion's servants arrived right after Peter's vision. God's blessing, God's timing is perfect. You may not feel this way. and You may wonder about it. Like Peter, you may have some doubts about some things that God is doing in your life. That's one thing we all share in common. Whether you're college age, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whether you have children, whether you're single, whether you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it doesn't matter. There are all of us that at times we wonder and we think, God, what are you doing? But we need to understand that God's timing is perfect. And he's stretching Peter by enlarging his view with this big sheet that comes down. And right when Peter needs the assurance, he's in the doubts, he's, he's wondering, he's struggling. Right when he needs that assurance, God has the messengers right at the gate. My friends, this passage is so wonderful because it lets us know that in God's timing, he prepares us, he stretches us to reach out and to share the good news. There's a beautiful bride. It won't just be my family. It won't just be my son. It won't just be this church. So if you're glad that all over Cookville today, the bride of Christ is praising God, if that makes you feel warm inside, would you say amen? All over. 
a big, beautiful bride. But to do this, God will stretch you this week. Some of you will stretch in ways that are beyond imagining, just like with Peter. But he will also give you the assurance you need when you most need it. Ernest Hemingway was a brilliant man. Ernest Hemingway wrote some wonderful stories. He experienced so much of the first half of the 20th century. He didn't just read about it, he lived it. Ernest Hemingway claimed that all thinking men are atheists. You know where that thinking gets you? That thinking gets you into the early 60s. When Ernest Hemingway is no longer the young, strong man that could travel the world, Ernest Hemingway is no longer the young man that has all the mental capacity he once had. In fact, through heavy alcoholism and through some electric shock treatment that he'd been given, much of his capacity to think had been altered and changed. Believing that there is no God, there is no hope, there is no future. Where does it get you? In the early morning hours of July 2nd, 1961, Ernest Hemingway, who said all thinking men are atheists, deliberately shot himself with his favorite shotgun. He had unlocked the basement storeroom at his house there in Idaho where his guns were kept. He went upstairs to the front entrance of his foyer there in Ketchum, Idaho. He took the double-barrel shotgun that he had used so often for hunting that his friends said uh, the shotgun was a friend itself to Ernest Hemingway. He took that shotgun and he blew his brains out. With no God, there was no reason to go on. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there is somebody in this room today that you are wondering, is there any reason for me to go on? Does my life really matter? Does it really count? There's somebody today that is doubting where you're at in your walk of life. There is some sinner here today that knows there's got to be more. And my friend, God's timing is perfect. Because God knows your doubt. And he knows your struggle. In his perfect timing, he brought you here today to witness something Jesus said. Do you remember Jesus said to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like a little child? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Say amen. For the one that is doubting, for the one that is wondering, God brought you here today to see the tender heart of a child. It just happened to be my child. It could have been anybody's, but in his perfect timing, it was this one. So that you would walk in today and remember God loves you. He loves you. And if you're wondering today, should I just end all of this? If you're wondering today, is there any reason for me? The answer is yes. And the answer is God has brought you here today. Because he wants to clean off the dirt and the grime. And he wants to take your sin in his perfect timing, he has said to you today, no, 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 no. In Jesus, you are no longer unclean. I don't care what you did. In Jesus, you are clean. And you are part of a bride prepared for my son.
how much longer will some of you waste your life? I'm not wasting my life. If you're not walking with Jesus, one day you'll die. Your children will probably ruin it if you haven't. Wasted. Your grandkids, they'll maybe remember, but by if you're lucky, their great-grandkids by then, you might not even be a memory. Jesus, if you need Jesus, won't you come today? Won't you come with the heart of a child to give your life to him? Will you stand with me this morning? Lord God, your time is perfect. God, you've brought each and every person to this place today. Lord, there's some that you're stretching. There's some that you are calling. There's some that you want to remember that what they need is your power, not their own. Father God, we're in sacred time, sacred space. Lord, I ask right now that the same Spirit of God that fell upon those believers would move in our midst. Lord, I pray even now, Lord, before we even sing, Lord, I pray that that one who needs salvation would come, that they would let go today and they would come. Lord, I pray for that struggling mother, that she would come and give her worries and her concerns to you. Lord, I pray for that husband who knows that there's got to be more to his marriage than what he's giving. Lord, I pray that they would let go of their pride and come. Lord, I pray for that young person that like Peter, they doubt, God, what are you doing right now? What is it you want of me? Father God, you use this time and do some cleaning work, do some sanctifying work, do some justifying work. Lord, use this message to grow and stretch your bride. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name.